Chase Parrish, and this is Red Space. If you have not heard through the grapevine about Andrew Tate, you probably are a monk or a nun. Either way, he is the most Googled name in 2022. Andrew Tate has recently surrendered to the Islamic ideology. Though some of his comments are thought-provoking, we must keep in mind that he has an erroneous view on the nature and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You see, in 2011, the Muslim Brotherhood had their first convention on American soil at a ritzy hotel in downtown Tampa, Florida. A flutter with much childlike anticipation, I zipped in route to the locale while phoning my friend who had recently returned from Iraq as a missionary, but at that time was busy. So I then turned to my buddy Carlton, who academically wrote apologetic papers on Islam, pastored a Middle Eastern refugee church, and taught monthly Bible studies to Muslims, who was thrilled to come along. Driving upon the scene with a megaphone, I noted dozens of picketing open-air preachers with signs stating, God hates you, while cheering, Go back home, and we don't want you here. A little upset, I threw my megaphone on their grassy boundary, of which I'd never find it again, as I beelined through the crowd, marching toward the hotel as they begged, Chase, do not go in there, it is not safe. Entering the hotel, I waited 30 minutes until Carlton arrived to stand by my side. We scanned the panorama to note a largely built, decorated gentleman who pranced around, briefing the attendees on our presence with seemingly conflictive whispering and bellicose finger-pointing. Carlton and I remained collected, enjoying the Lord together, while I wore a t-shirt reading, Jesus over everything. As we lounge on lobby chairs, an unassuming Middle Eastern boy ambled over to us, unfeignedly inquiring as to the reason for our visit. I assured him that I had no agenda, but only desired to build relationships. A genuine smile spread across his face as he placed my hand in his, stating, Come with me. Escorting me into the main convention center, the packed room's conversation came to a screeching halt as all eyes fell upon me. Two most prominently dressed men lashed at the boy. He shouldn't be in here. So, I picked up myself, and soon I had returned to the lobby with a little boy apologized for their behavior. Another largely built man approached me, interrogating of the grounds for my presence. So I began talking to him about the Lord. As hordes, I'm talking about hordes of people, surrounded us to listen in to our conversation. The lobby, all of a sudden, erupted into a theological, ideological debate on the nature of Jesus Christ. Question. How are we to approach people, cultures, societies, and religious worldviews in the international community? 
Should we convert covertly or proclaim publicly? Should we employ wisdom by following safety and security protocol or create a spiral effect of converts due to sought-after martyrdom? Should we become seeker-sensitive in a postmodern era or stand unwaveringly on theological semantics and a growing demographic of illiteracy and the dumbing down of society? Should we build bridges with the world or burn them for the sake of no compromise? Stadium arenas or we go to them? Friendship evangelism or street preaching? Compassion ministries or getting get out gospel bombing? Guns blazing or gun control? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? Hebrews 11 denotes two distinct groups. One who, quote, through faith conquer kingdoms, administer justice, gain what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quench the far fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, had weakness turned to strength, became powerful in battle, routed foreign armies, received back their dead, and were raised to life again, end quote. While the other was, quote, tortured and refused to be released, faced jeers and flogging, were chained and put into prison, were stoned, sawed in two, put to death by the sword, went about in sheepskins and goatskins, were destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, wandered about in caves and holes in the ground, end quote. And the Bible says that the one would never have been actually fulfilled without the other. Furthermore, Matthew 11 denotes two distinct figures. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, yet they say he has a demon. While the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. End quote. As Christians, we have been, as of current, filing into arenas, filling mass stadiums, and packing out convention centers, trying to define and denote Whose banner to raise, what flag to wave, which sword to draw, to witness the best the world has to offer, to contrast the winners from the losers, to take a side with victors, to feel oneness with the collective, and to be entertained. I want to take a look at John the Baptist for a moment, if we could. Because where John the Baptist went, we know, was not a booming metropolis. Not a suburban neighborhood, not a rural farm. He didn't plot any real estate, but a barren wilderness. He went to an untamed, uncivilized, uncolonialized, and unindustrialized milieu. It had no trends, innovations, or paradigms. Intellectuals were not sparring over philosophies. Generals weren't combating over expansionism. And entrepreneurs weren't striving over bottom lines. There was nothing but a man staring out into an oblivion with one pathos, one aim, and one theology. No amount of force, coercion, or manipulation could contain or restrain the ease of his words the conviction of his ethos 
and the directionness of his movement. He was given to God, resolved for the kingdom, spent in souls, and bent toward heaven. When the world came to John, they weren't searching for the way to political peace, an answer to their economic questions, the tools to acquire wealth, a surefire way to power, an environment of fame, or a mastery of sociality. They saw in John God. They felt his presence resounding hundreds of miles away by stories told through case eyewitnesses. Voyagers would trek in pilgrimage to witness the one who lived through a dead man walking. John's possessor was more elite than all presidents, kings, czars, sultans, and celebrities. You see, the light has always shined the brightest while it has been the darkest. This podcast that I've created is kind of a guide map written within that window of time before it all broke loose. While presidents still guarded our rights, officers still secured our services, citizens still revered our boundaries, unbelievers still respected and sympathized with our views, and we were still nestled within our safely tucked, neatly fenced resting places. Though middle-class Christianity has been bottoming out so that its defectors now have the reception of a comfortable safety net with benefits on the other side, Christians are in fact now becoming much more emboldened. Though we are being pathologized as radical and extreme in the framework of societal thinking, Our movement has been steadily expanding and increasing as the intensity of our opponent's resistance fans into flame. There is persecution within this country yet to be activated once we truly begin to live like the Lord Jesus Christ. Marines differ from other military forces in a single respect. They run to the action, to the danger, to the fire. What a remarkably terrifying, yet truly an honorable calling. When Christians receive the commission, the adversary will concentrate forces, but something else will snap. Your back will become a little straighter. Your chest will become a lot bigger. Your grin will be a tad wider. Your face will be a bit brazen. Your voice will be much deeper. There is something about confrontation that makes us bold because though we will have a target on our backs warring angels are to be assigned at our rear guard we will realize that this is no longer a game we will view signing at an eternal dotted line as a grave business decision that affects everything and anything we will feel God desiring us to be involved in this struggle We will see that he wants us engaged in the conflict. We will be aware that we are exactly where he wants us to be. We will be conscious that the safest place to be is in the will of God. We will no longer afford to be only reading novels, watching movies, and playing video games, all the while missing all the action. Oftentimes, Christians have sadly missed the sweeping vision of what could have been had if the church universal had risen up. Soon this window of opportunity may be shut forever.
So, now that that's over and done with, let's conclude a unified church. Think about it. What would that look like? Today, it's kind of hard to imagine. Sadly, sometimes pastors do the separating. Other times, congregants will permit pastors to do the uniting. In years past, you could make yourself at home in the peace of almost any denomination as each held to the same foundational tenets. Yet today, at current, mainstream churches wrestle with moral concepts that at one time were rather self-evident. The church has been broken like a clock going from, the, from going in the direction for which it was set. Drive down a serene street in the Bible Belt and note catty corner within a single block a couple of congregations with distinct names, each possessing one or two clarifying adjectives denoting secondary doctrinal convictions. Over the decades, from time to time, these two churches have perhaps made slight comments about one another. Years ago, they had tried to force a joint potluck to no avail. And ever since then, they had just done their own thing and got nervous when the other topped their own Sunday morning guest count. Oh, if only that team of three that controls the finances could just let it go, the pastor thinks. Sounds silly. People will be surprised at how common this actually is. These two churches had never realized that they were fighting on the same side, the same team. While civil war brewed unrest within their walls, outside their gates was a common community searching for fulfillment, purpose, meaning, significance, and transcendence. What would it look like if those scores of churches in our communities began to view themselves as one body, and pastors from each local church beyond denominational lines across all society gathered together to reconcile age-old contentions with the truth of the Word of God? If each of us recognized that we needed one another. If we could no longer endure being spiritual cripples cut off from our mouth or leg or arm or torso or nose. You see, we have something in common, a common enemy, and it is not each other. I frequent certain restaurants and commonly overhear neighboring tables targeting character assassination against a presumably unaccompanying innocent I view newscasters blasting celebrities for proposed moral indiscretions. Whispers point the finger of blame toward anyone other than themselves as to the reasons of the evils of this age. When Babylon had released the Jews who, were, who had become familiarized in their school with the doctrine of Zoroaster, back to their homeland, I wonder... Had Israel's public schooling system progressively indoctrinated upcoming generations, coining Nebuchadnezzar the figurehead of all evil, ignoring the fact that it was God Almighty who actually judged them? In the political writings, St. Augustine speculated about how Rome, once an integrous city maintaining peace with its enemies, became wicked, asserting that the preservation of their own life, a boon, which they owed to the respect entertained for Christ by the barbarians, they attribute not to our Christ, but to their own good luck, end quote. You see, our antagonist has never had skin on. It is sin 
And whether we like it or not, it is wartime. Armor has been granted. Weapons have been allotted. Battle lines have been drawn. Calls to align ourselves to a particular side have been prompted. Those who have selected allegiance to God have been assigned to link up in the strategy room to learn the enemy, who is completely other from us. It is garbed differently. It speaks another language. It is possessed of odd mannerisms. It operates tactical strategies to which we are not familiar. These are the characteristics in which we will discern its identity so we can be assured of ours. And if we show up for the meat, we have already won the war. We must be engaged in the battle. We must be involved in the war. Now is the time, and this is the hour. This is Red Space, and I am Chase Parrish.